The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. October 16th, PFT PM Podcast. Week 6 in the books. Five down territory on Monday. And I have confirmed... I forgot to do it last week. I have confirmed it was a Colorado-Missouri game from 1990 where Colorado got five downs. Now I'm starting to think it was Missouri. I think it was Colorado. They got five downs and they shouldn't have. So five downs, not impossible. Three downs in Canada, four downs in the United States, five downs right here, and Colorado-Missouri 1990. The big news in the NFL, the biggest news, and it continues to resonate, because it has tentacles, and it's a fascinating study in football psychology and organizational management and all sorts of boring topics that I will try, keyword try, to make not boring over the next half hour or so. Aaron Rodgers, fractured collarbone. A lot of different layers to this one. Let's start with the immediate plan, because the immediate plan has already been brought to fruition. Joe Callahan of the Wesley College Wolverines has been promoted to the active roster from the practice squad. He is now the backup to Brett Hundley, the new starter for the Green Bay Packers, starter until Aaron Rodgers is able to return whenever that may be, could be out for the year. We'll see when he's able to come back. He fractured a collarbone four years ago, left side. This is right side, throwing side. And I just remember the last time around, it was all this willy or wony and winning and when and how. And it just was, it got to the point where it was maddening if you're a Packers fan. There may be a certain amount of relief if they just know he's not coming back. And really, let's say he comes back in two months, just to throw out a number. Middle of December, is it going to matter by then? All depends on what Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan, if necessary, can do. Joe Callahan. It's either going to be a disaster or a Disney movie if that guy plays. Joe Callahan, all due respect, he's never taken a snap in a regular season game. He's had limited preseason work, and now he's number two for now. And I know Mike McCarthy, the coach of the Packers, said Sunday that's the direction they're going in, Hundley and Callahan. I think part of it is they don't want to come off as desperate. I don't think it's wise to come off as desperate. If you come off as desperate, you end up overpaying in free agency. You end up giving up too much if there's a trade to be done. You have to play poker. You got to sit back, cross your arms, put on your sunglasses, get a toothpick. You can look nonchalant. There's nobody who doesn't look nonchalant with a toothpick. Toothpick, sunglasses, folded arms, sit back. And yeah, Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan. Yeah, that's what we're doing. What? Why are you laughing? Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan. They do have other options. I'm fascinated by the possibility of Tony Romo coming out of the broadcast booth. And it was funny because on Thursday night he joked about it. During the Eagles-Panthers game, they showed his last pass from Eagles-Cowboys week 17 of 2016 season. And 
Jim Nance or somebody said that was his last pass. Romo said, was it my last pass? A little impish. But you know what? He's done so well the first six weeks as a broadcaster. He could bail. He could leave. He could go play, and they'll be lining up out the door to hire him again after he's done. Potential storybook finish number nine's available. Wisconsin native Tony Romo. Colin Kaepernick, and I know they're not going to do it, but when you look at what Kaepernick did to them, 2012 playoffs, 181 rushing yards, postseason record for a quarterback. Week one of 2013 when the Packers were convinced he was going to run and run and run. He had 412 passing yards, didn't run much. 2013 postseason, one of the coldest games at Lambeau Field. 49ers and Kaepernick went in and won. I think there is an unreasonable obsession with system, although Chris Sims suggested on PFT Live on Monday he'd be a good fit for the system. Now, you'd sprinkle in some plays that you currently don't do, like the read option. You don't see a lot of Aaron Rodgers running the read option. But regardless of how well he does or doesn't fit the system or does or doesn't fit the playbook, they are very rigid there. They are very wedded to their system. It's their system. It's their system. And little things, like guys who come from other teams and say, well, you know, how about this? We could do this. No, 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 no. System, 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 system. Unrealistic. Coaching is fundamentally taking the clay you have and molding it into a winner. And if you have different clay that gets thrown onto it, you have to mold that too and find where it can help you and where it can hurt you and stay away from where it can hurt you. And whether it's Tony Romo, Colin Kaepernick, whoever you settle on, You tailor the playbook, you tailor the system, you tailor the attack to what they do well, and you stay away from the things they don't do, and you constantly communicate. I remember when, I think it was when Hugh Jackson was the offensive coordinator and then became the head coach in Oakland, and Darren McFadden was sputtering, unproductive, disappointing. Hugh Jackson went to Darren McFadden and said, what do you like to do? And he told him, and you know what? They did those things, and guess what? It worked is so much more simple than they want us to think it is. Because if they can make it seem complicated, that's why they love talking about analytics and film study. There's that arrogance and condescension that comes from the people who think they're on the other side of the wall. You know what? There is no wall. It's common sense. There's some jargon you have to learn. And the jargon is somewhat alienating to the person who doesn't know the playbook. But you know what? It's alienating to the new player on the team, too. You have to learn it. Football is far more simple than they would have you believe. But they want you to think it's complicated to preserve their own jobs. Because the more people who think it's rocket science, the fewer try to get into the business. And the fewer that try to get into the business, the more it can be coach with lifetime job security, son with lifetime job security. You wall out people who otherwise would look at it and say, I can figure that out. I could do that with hard work. I'm not saying it doesn't take hard work. It takes hard work, dedication, true passion. But to the extent that some people say, I could never figure that out, baloney. You can figure it out. It's not that complicated. And if you're good, you know how to make it simple. 
If you're good, you know how to take the best players you can find or whatever players you're stuck with and make the most out of them. We'll see what Mike McCarthy can do with Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan. We'll see if Ted Thompson, notoriously conservative general manager of the Packers, will go out there and try to pursue someone. They could try to do a trade for Scott Tolzien just to have a better backup. Tolzien was there a few years ago. He knows the system. He could be the backup to Brett Hundley. He's become superfluous almost in Indy. He's the backup to Jacoby Brissett. It's just a matter of time before Andrew Luck is back. Two weeks left in the trading window. Boom. Colts flip Tolzien for something. Brett Favre. Tony Dungy said in a video that we taped last night in the third quarter of the Giants-Broncos game, Dungy said he would go after Favre. Favre just turned 48 last week. Rodney Harrison questioned Coach Dungy's sanity and sobriety, both of which are unblemished. They could do the tryouts with the usual suspects, the TJ McBarkleys of the world. I think they just keep doing what they do. I, I, yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. I know that that there are fans of the Packers, employees of the Packers, who don't like it when I point this out. I don't care. Um, this is what happens when you don't have an owner. Things like this can happen when you don't have an owner. There's less urgency, I think, when you don't have an owner who can roll out of bed any given day, show up at the facility and say, what are we doing about this problem? Well, we're just going to, really? You're going to do that? You're sticking with Brett Hundley and Joe Callahan? Really? For my money? We built this team? We're not kicking the can. Bring somebody in. Now, sometimes an owner can create problems by meddling, but sometimes the lack of a true owner leads to complacency. Now everyone's got an excuse. See, this is going to be a true test of McCarthy as a coach. I, I've been of a mindset that, and, and I, I remember we got all huffy last year when they were struggling. And he, anytime anyone starts reciting their accomplishments, you know they're getting a little bit, they're getting a little bit upset. They're feeling a little bit insecure. I personally don't think McCarthy's all that good of a coach. You give me Aaron Rodgers, I could figure something out, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing in pretty much anything I do. You give me Aaron Rodgers, I think we'll be okay. You give me, I don't know, any of the great quarterbacks, I think we could stumble our way into a win or two because the good quarterback is a coach on the field. We're going to find out about McCarthy now. We're going to find out about what kind of excuses the Packers make without Aaron Rodgers. Do they just dog paddle their way through the year? Do they go out and win games? Are they competitive? Will they be in the playoff chase? They're currently tied for first place in the NFC North. Technically, they're in second place because the Vikings hold the tiebreaker, but they'll get a chance December 23, primetime, NBC, with or without Aaron Rodgers. What are they going to do? We'll see. Ten games left. Mike, here's your chance to prove me wrong. And if you do, I'll admit I was wrong. Mike McCarthy, a better coach than I gave him credit for. Well, he's been there 11 years. Yeah, because there's no owner who can roll out of bed any given day and say, hey, Mike, fire Dom Capers or you're gone too. There's no one there who can say that or will say that. Any other city, any other team by now, that would have happened. 
and Capers either would have been gone or McCarthy would have been gone with him. Or other, I mean, just, and Ted Thompson would have been. There's a certain amount in, in organizations with one owner, and I'm not saying this is good or bad. You could argue it's bad. When you are close that often, when you knock on the door that many times and you don't kick it in with even a Super Bowl appearance, there's a certain frustration that takes over and it causes you to do something rash. When you don't have that power vested in one person, and again, maybe this is good, checks and balances and committees and approvals and very deliberate process. This gets back to what I say all the time about what is and what isn't successful when it comes to a football operation. They will say, we want to win the Super Bowl. The reality is we just want to be relevant past Thanksgiving because then we'll make money and people will come to the games and we will be playing Meaningful games in late December and possibly games in January. One last thing before I move on. Ted Thompson back in 2013 when they were dealing with the the absence of Aaron Rodgers. He admitted that he worries about jinxing Aaron Rodgers by having too good of a backup. You never think about your better players getting hurt. If you think that way, you might jinx it. It might happen. Literally, you don't think about it. It's a place you never tread. He was asked, do you believe in jinxes? No, but you still never tread. You just don't like to say it. And I'm not saying Brett Hundley's not going to get it done. But I think it makes sense to have a veteran backup, a veteran presence, a competitive presence. Somebody who you feel good about coming in and winning games. And maybe they feel good about Hundley. Maybe they do. We'll find out. Also, one last point on this before we move on. Michael David Smith has suggested that the time may have come to change the rules for roughing the passer. Basically, make it like roughing the punter, roughing the kicker. If the ball's away, you can't touch them. People lose their minds. Hey, they know what they signed up for. They understand the risks. Are they not men? Shut up. Look around at all the crap quarterbacks. The same people who say Colin Kaepernick isn't good enough basically say throw these guys to the wolves. They know what they signed up for. Yeah, and then you know what we sign up for? A bunch of crap quarterback play. And then they wonder why people don't watch the games. Monday night, it's possibly going to be Jacoby Brissett and Matt Castle. Even if Marcus Mariota plays, it's still Jacoby Brissett, all due respect to him, but you want to see Andrew Luck. And you know what? If the rule was you couldn't hit the quarterback once the ball's out, maybe Luck would be able to play right now. Do we really relish seeing a quarterback get driven into the ground? Rollerball was a warped vision of brutally violent sport in the future. If anything, we've gone the other way because we understand, number one, the games suck if your best players aren't available, and number two, cumulative effects of head trauma. Not good. Just over the past 20 years, it's amazing how much the game has changed. Are people shying away from it? I still think at some point they could fundamentally change the game enough that someone would come up with some old school football league where they would just basically beat the out of each other. So anyway, I got to move on. Five down territory and I'm still stuck at first down. Second down, Teddy Bridgewater practicing this week, coming off the pup list. I think he'll be ready to play before Sam Bradford. I think Sam Bradford's done. I'm going to make a bold... I I don't want to go that far yet. I was going to say... See, this allows me to make the prediction. This allows me to say it without without 
pinning myself to it. What I was thinking about saying is Bradford would never play for the Vikings again. I'm not ready to go there at old takes exposed. I won't be surprised if he never plays again for the Vikings. And I think we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater play before we see Sam Bradford. And then the question becomes, do you go with Teddy Bridgewater, who has la- his last game that he played in that meant anything was that Blair Walsh god-awful 27-yard wide left on the cold day outdoors, and Teddy Bridgewater drove the Vikings down the field. And one of my hot takes back at the time was they rely so much upon Adrian Peterson, they'd be better off without Peterson because then Bridgewater could fully develop as a quarterback, and now Peterson's gone. But Bridgewater hasn't played a meaningful game since January 2016, and Case Keenum is getting it done. What do you do? They tried to flip the switch last Monday back to Sam Bradford, and they realized it was a mistake. And they went back to Case Keenum while there was still a chance to save their bacon. This one's fascinating. And there's a lot of people up in Minnesota that love them some Teddy Bridgewater. And I look forward to seeing Teddy Bridgewater play. But boy, Case Keenum's getting it done. And I think you need to keep Case Keenum around. Not just for the rest of this year, not that they would move on from him. They need to keep him around for the future. They need to pay him very good backup money and convince him that it would be a mistake to try to parlay what he's done this year and to go going and taking a starting job with a crappy team that is searching for a quarterback that may go ahead and draft a quarterback after it signs him in free agency. He went through that last year with the Rams when they added Jared Goff, and all he has to do is look at what happened to Mike Glennon this year. You don't want to do that. You don't want to chase the money and end up on the bench. Inevitably, on a bad team. Stay with a good team, make good backup money, and understand there's a chance you may get to play. And be part of something that could end up being significant. That's the argument you make. And you put so much money in front of him now that he can't say no to it. Third down, this Austin Safarian Jenkins play. The league is very adamant about the application of the worst rule in football. The worst rule in football is the rule that says if you fumble the ball in the field of play and it bounces out of bounds on the other side of the goal line, the other team gets the ball at its own 20, even if the other team does nothing to secure possession of the ball. I hate that rule. I've hated it from the first time I realized what it was. I hate it because if the ball just happens to bounce out of bounds at the one, the offense still gets the ball. It's a bad rule. It needs to go. I don't know why in the hell they won't get rid of it. There is nothing about it that is fair to either team. Chris Sims was trying to argue that the end zone is the defense's territory and If the ball goes out of bounds in their territory, it's their ball. And I don't mean to be pejorative in how I characterize how he said it. There's some merit to it, but this isn't capture the flag. You're trying to score a touchdown. You don't have a fort built there. I don't like the rule, and the rule needs to go away. However, I initially believed it was a proper application of the rule on Sunday when Austin Seferius and Jenkins 
scores a touchdown, it's ruled a touchdown, and then it's overturned on replay review because there was clear and obvious evidence. That's the new formulation, not indisputable visual evidence anymore. Thank you, NFL, for using something that is sounding more like English. Clear and obvious evidence that he was losing the ball before he crossed the plane. Check. Clear and obvious evidence that he failed to possess the ball again before he landed out of bounds. Initially, I agreed with the check mark they put there. Now, I'm not so sure. Because you have to remember that term. You have to be thinking clear and obvious to overturn. The ruling on the field cannot be changed unless there is clear and obvious evidence. And this high-speed, instantaneous pipeline of information directly to the league office. For the benefit of former referee Al Riveron, now Senior VP of Officiating, to make the decision. This is not replacing his judgment. This is not how Al Riveron would have called it. This is whether or not clear and obvious evidence exists to overturn the ruling on the field. And you have to constantly think of it that way. Think of it that way. Think of it that way. There has to be clear and obvious evidence to overturn the ruling on the field. Every aspect of the ruling. So... In this case, there had to be clear and obvious evidence that the ball was coming out, and I think there was. And then there had to be clear and obvious evidence, not that he did recover the ball before he went out of bounds, because the ruling on the field was that he did. So there has to be clear and obvious evidence that he did not recover the ball. And that's where it goes off the rails for me. Clear and obvious evidence he lost possession. Good. Clear and obvious evidence that he, that he failed to regain possession. No good. Because when you look at that, how is it clear and obvious that he landed out of bounds without resecuring the ball? It's not clear and obvious. Dean Blandino pointed out that he thinks that Safarian Jenkins' knee hit with the ball in his possession before he tumbled out of bounds, making it a ball that has been repossessed by the guy who fumbled it. Now, I think if the ruling had been fumble touchback, you wouldn't have been able to overturn it. And also, the ruling of touchdown, I don't think there's enough there to overturn it. And people are losing their minds about this, and rightfully so, because it feels like the Jets got screwed. Because it's a combination of a bad rule and a questionable application of a bad rule. But the bad rule is the problem. And I don't like this because it's prompting people to suggest that the game was rigged, the game was fixed. And look... The NFL, and, and, and you, you know me by now, I'll criticize what needs to be criticized. I'll say when there's a bad call. I'll say when there's a bad ruling. I'll admit that I've changed my mind on this one, that I thought it was a good decision, and now I don't think it was. But I don't think it's ever rigged. First of all, <laughs> I don't think they're competent enough to rig successfully, frankly. I think if they wanted to rig, they'd find a way to screw it up. And I think of all these years of former NFL employees and deathbed confessions and however else we could find out, somebody would have admitted by now that that a game was rigged. I don't think the NFL is rigged. I don't think you can rig it. There's too many moving parts. It would be too obvious if you tried to rig it. And I don't think they'd be able to pull it off. But that drives me crazy. But the problem is, and they get very sensitive when someone suggests the perception that the game is rigged. I heard from the league office in the past about that. They didn't like it that I, I said, this is the kind of thing that causes people to say the game is rigged. 
oh, are you suggesting the game is rigged? No. I'm saying this is the kind of thing that causes people to say it's rigged. So I guess here's my point. Hey, NFL, button this crap up because this is the kind of thing that causes people to say the game is rigged even though it isn't rigged. You don't want to give people a legitimate excuse to put on the tinfoil hat and feel like they're onto something. Get rid of the rule. Once and for all, NFL, I beg you, the touchdown that becomes a touchback rule has got to go. It's got to go. And I think the people who take the other side of it just want to be contrary. Get rid of it. Now, you got an owner's meeting on Tuesday. Get rid of it. Of course, they got, they got other issues. They got, they got bigger things to worry about on Tuesday than the touchdown becomes a touchback rule. The Browns have bigger things to worry about than the accuracy of our report from Sunday night that they've already begun to reach out to potential hires in the football operations department, but they have disputed it. They reached out to me Sunday night and said it's not true. They told Mary Kay Cabot of the Cleveland Plain Dealer that it's, quote, false and erroneous, end quote. Couldn't they have just gone with one or the other? False or erroneous? False and erroneous. What else? They should have thrown one more for good measure. It would have sounded like Jackie Childs. False, erroneous, preposterous. I stand by it because I know it's true. And it's not the first time they've done it. It's not the first time teams have done it. This is the way business gets done. When you are con- And I'm not even saying they've decided to make a change, although how in the hell could they have not decided to make a change? They're 1-21 since the latest reset button. It's not working. The only way that this continues is if Sashi Brown, the executive VP of football operations, manages to convince the Haslams to just let's give it one more year. We're still rebuilding. We got all these future draft picks. You know, the, the, the story, and this isn't a 2017. This goes back to 2016. When they started flipping for future draft picks, somebody told me they're going to do this to avoid accountability as long as possible because anytime they get asked tough questions, they're going to say we're still rebuilding. We don't have great players now, but we have we have parlayed all these draft picks into future picks. The best is yet to come. So, look, the bottom line is this. They've already begun to reach out. And I think it's smart to have an idea of who you can get before you press the reset button. Now, you still have to comply with the Rooney rule if you have a new coach, if you have a new GM. But it's smart to know who's out there before you give up the bird in the hand. You don't know that you're going to get the two in the bush, but it's good to have an idea of who that is and that person is interested and a little wink, a little nod, and we think we can work this out. You don't just dump your front office or dump your coaching staff with no clue whatsoever as to who'd be interested because maybe you decide to keep the devil that you know instead of the devil that you don't know, especially when you're the Browns and every time you have tried to start from scratch, it's blown up in your face. It gets worse. How does it... Look... Think about this. If you're a Browns fan right now, my heart goes out to you. 0-6 this year, 1-15 last year, passed on Carson Wentz, passed on Deshaun Watson twice. My God, can it get any worse than this? And now they're going to think about going back to Deshaun Kaiser. If they go back to Deshaun Kaiser, the only reason he was benched last week was to avoid apples to apples, Deshaun versus Deshaun. That's the only reason if they go back to him after one week. That's what I thought last week, and some people thought I was crazy. I may be crazy, but I think on that I was right. One of the most polarizing figures in the NFL. This is fifth down. I've slid from one, two, three, four. Now we're up to fifth down. Colin Kaepernick. I question the timing of the filing. I question 
why you would do it on a game day and overshadow a game day, co-opt a game day. Why not do it on a Wednesday, middle of the week? The filing of a collusion claim against the NFL. Mark Garagos, who has represented the likes of Winona Ryder, Michael Jackson, Chris Brown. Garagos is on the case. Issued a statement on Sunday night. And I've gathered some information about where this is going to go from here. First of all, and I haven't written this yet. I'm going to be writing some more about it. I mentioned last night the notion that Kaepernick would like to invalidate and terminate the CBA early. There is a clause in the CBA. Very obscure clause. Proof of collusion under certain circumstances will cause the termination of the CBA. And I got all these armchair lawyers on Twitter telling me that I'm wrong. I'm not wrong in saying that it's what Kaepernick hopes to do. He may lose. You may be right in your analysis of the CBA, but that doesn't change the fact that that's what he wants. Shout him down, not me. PFT, wrong again. No, I'm not. Maybe it may have been wrong before. Not wrong on this one. Kaepernick has his eye on this possibility. And some of the flaws, some of the challenges that have been raised, I think they'll have answers. And I'll be writing more about this. That would be the holy grail. That would be the home run, the grand slam out of the park, out of the, I mean, into the water, over the water, down the street, if they can do this, if they could terminate the CBA prematurely. Wow. 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 Because what it would do, it would risk a lockout or a strike, but it would force the owners back to the table three years before they're ready to get back to the table. And, you know, they should welcome it. They want to renegotiate. You know, the owners have been saying, we'd like to renegotiate. All right. Agreement's terminated. Let's renegotiate. That would be something. And a lot of the proof is going to be circumstantial. And let me give you the quick explanation what circumstantial evidence is. It's very simple. Direct evidence is, I noticed last night that snow was falling. That's direct evidence. I saw the snow fall. Circumstantial evidence is, I went to bed, I looked outside, There was no snow on my car. I woke up the next morning. There was two inches of snow on my car, but it wasn't snowing. The fact that there's two inches of snow on my car means that I know it snowed. Circumstantial evidence. And also, what happens with a lot of cases like this, you may not have anything concrete going in. You have a gut feeling. You have a hunch. The circumstances suggest something's not right. When guys like Joe Callahan of Wesley College are gainfully employed in the NFL and Colin Kaepernick less than five years removed from nearly winning a Super Bowl is not, something's wrong. When teams aren't giving him opportunities, when they aren't even giving him tryouts, when the Tennessee Titans, and this was the last straw, when the Tennessee Titans lose Marcus Mariota for at least a week with a hamstring strain and they have tryouts, And they bring in Brandon Whedon, Matt Barkley, Matt McGloin, and TJ Yates and rebuff the overtures from Colin Kaepernick. Something's not right. The question becomes, is there any evidence of coordination, communication, collusion? And here's how it works. You start getting emails. You start, and and this is where the NFL's Tom Brady escapade is going to be twisted right back around and hung over its head. Let's see text messages. Let's see emails. Let's see cell phones. Let's see what communications were had among friends 
who work for different teams. That's all it takes. And there's a lot of guys out there who are friends who work for different teams, who have worked in the past on the same team. And these guys, they're, they're in the same industry. The network is very important, the network of friends, the network of colleagues, because you never know, number one, when you're going to need a job, and you never know, number two, which of your friends is in position to give you a job. So these networks are very robust, and they communicate all the time. And sometimes, like all of us, and I'm not throwing stones at my friends in the scouting and coaching community, maybe they say something on text that's kind of stupid. Maybe they send an email that's kind of dumb. Maybe there were text messages out there between GMs of a team who've known each other for 20 years. Hey, what are you going to do about Kaepernick? Are you kidding me? I can't touch Kaepernick. The owner said he talked to so-and-so, and and we're not touching Kaepernick. No one's touching Kaepernick. All it takes is one. Even if it's not accurate, even if it is a, a loose assessment of reality, if you have text messages between general managers or people at that level suggesting coordination, communication, collusion, you got a problem. And... When you have 32 teams and not a single one has offered this guy a contract, you got a problem. And they're going to get to the bottom of this. And I like this because, you know, all that crap that's been out there about offers he's turned down and he, he, he rejected this, rejected that, wants this, wants that, it's all going to come out. It's all going to come out. And I'm also told that Kaepernick and his legal team decided to go with the grievance process under the CBA because it actually allows for expedited discovery, meaning that's how you get these things like text messages and emails, etc. They're going to get to the truth. And see, here's, here's, here's how it works. The people who already have decided they hate Kaepernick because he kneeled for the anthem and they don't want Kaepernick to be on a team and they take pleasure in the fact that he's not on a team. They're invested in this. So they're already rooting against him. They're already presuming he's going to fail. So many people in the media are already saying, oh, he's going to fail. Well, wh- how do you know? How do you know automatically? I can't say for sure that he's going to win. And anyone else can't say for sure he's going to lose. No one knows. You try to act like you know what you're doing, it shows you know nothing. If you, anyone, and I said this all the time, any lawyer who claims to know what the outcome of a legal proceeding is going to be is either stupid, lying, or both. No one knows. Because we don't know what the evidence is. I do know this amount of time. That's five down territory for today. There will be plenty more to be said about the Kaepernick grievance as it unfolds. But, but keep that in mind. No one knows what's going to happen. And think about what may be lurking on the cell phones and email accounts of friends in this industry. It's a very insular industry where you have to have these networks of friends and and colleagues and acquaintances because they all churn and you lose this job, you ask that guy for a job and they all keep in touch and they all compare notes and they all try to help each other to a certain extent. Still a competitive industry, but there are big picture issues they talk about. All right, we'll talk more about the NFL on Tuesday. It will be the awards edition of the PFT Live podcast check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com and every weekday morning 
6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. It's PFT Live on NBC Sports Radio. Final two hours simulcast on NBCSN. The PFT PM podcast every, not every weekday afternoon. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday is the current schedule. With, with a little bit of play in the joints. We'll see. But we plan to do it Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday of this week. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll do this again tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call. Text or chat 988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.